0: Right as I was leaving the teachers' lounge, I started getting very nervous about speaking this morning, and that's that's not uncommon for me. For somebody who speaks in public, it's not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but as I was walking, you know, in that in that short distance from the teachers' lounge to here, um, really bringing up my mindfulness and exploring what the nervousness is about. And just saying, you know, oh, all, all nervousness is, is a rapid heartbeat. My mouth is a little dry, my throat is clenched, my, you know, like, <laughs> you know, all the things that nervousness is, bodily sensations. But then the story that's going on is how I really want this to be important, and how I really care that what I say matters and is helpful. And how I care even more in this community than um, then I find I do. Not that I don't give my heart and soul in every other community, but how it really matters in a different way to me here, to be with my people. So all that happened in probably 35 steps. And I sit here in the same rapid heartbeat and the same dry mouth and my words are coming out. And that's actually what I want to talk about today, is emotions. I want to talk about emotions. How in this uh, little Petri dish that we're working in here on retreat, how we have the opportunity to really watch and pay attention to that which triggers us, that which we fall pray to over and over again and possibly have since we were children that which frees us I just want to talk a little bit about that Um, and then we'll practice it together but first I just want to do a tiny review of where we've been in terms of yesterday which seems like so long ago to me now And what we were really working on with what we call the first foundation of mindfulness. Really this ability through the breath and the body to stabilize and collect and gather the mind and the heart. So that we can build a foundation. So we really have something to hold on to when we start exploring into these other realms of human existence when we start exploring into emotions and thoughts. Not that those aren't happening, but maybe it's not they're not as trustworthy. Our wisdom isn't as strong. Our discernment isn't as strong if we are moving like the wind and the weather and just falling into whatever emotion is there. And we've probably all been in the place where we feel overwhelmed by an emotion. Where we just can't, you know, it's sort of like treading water, treading water, going under, treading water. It's exhausting to be overwhelmed by an emotion. It's hard to think. It's hard to have any clarity. It's, ha- it's definitely hard to make a decision. You know, I'll often have people come to me and say, well, I can't decide. And it's, it's, we can't decide when we're unclear. So when we're in overwhelm of emotion. But we're also not saying to not have emotion. Right? Sometimes people will think that Buddhists, are, you know, that the true Buddhists are these really just uh, flatline something or other um, that throws a smile on occasionally and bows. So it's really nice to have capa- the capacity to feel. I remember being in a very numb, numb part of my life. And remembering the first feeling that I had. And it was an empathetic feeling. And I was so happy to feel again. So emotions are okay. They're a good thing. They're a beautiful thing. we think about joy and tenderness sadness, all of it the vast array of emotions necessary but really walking this middle path that is often talked about in Buddhism, this path of between nihilism and hedonism you know, these, these extremes that can feel untrustworthy or this numbness that People are like, hello, <laughs> are you in there? And the practice mindfulness can really help us see clearly what is really going on versus possibly, I, I've been doing a little uh, somatic experiencing training and there's this thing called overcoupling which is a quite quite an interesting thing. But I was talking to my my partners in town with me, and we were talking about it. And I was like, I need a good overcoupling story. And he said, Okay, well, whenever I hear the Supremes, the, uh, the, I you uh, I hear a symphony. You know that one. <laughs> he said, I am in my kitchen with my mom and my sisters dancing. My cousins are barbecuing. You know, instantly he said, all I need is a note of that song. And the whole visual comes back. And it's a warm, good, beautiful feeling. But then we also have those overcoupling stories that overcoupling means when two, when a, maybe a visual or a thought or a memory or a smell, instantly you can't have it without the memory. Like you can't possibly smell a pine tree without Christmas popping up. And then maybe it's an uncomfortable Christmas story about the last time, you know, your alcoholic uncle was over and the family fought. And, you know, it's like that's overcoupling. And we often do it. Our emotions get kicked in by a smell, a taste. Even another person who reminds us of someone we can not like someone for an unknown reason. And it might be because they look like Professor So-and-so in fifth grade who told you you were stupid, right? And so we're constantly living through the world, this emotional web playing off of our thoughts leading our emotions, our emotions leading our thoughts. There's an interplay back and forth. Constantly. And the value of this practice is, and especially on retreat, when we can slow it all down, when we can really see, is we can, we can start to pull things apart. We can start to have a sadness, just as a sadness, without the story that goes with it. Mine was the loneliness story. I was lonely. I was a lonely child. I became a lonely adolescent, and teenager. And what I did with my lonely was I thought that finding sex, love, partnership, any kind of, any kind of a, a romantic attachment was how I was going to take care of my lonely. And I did it voraciously. And the problem with that was I caused myself a lot of harm, and I caused others a lot of harm. But I didn't know that I had the option to just experience the loneliness as loneliness. I thought that I had to do something about it to take it away. But the years of pain that I suffered because of it, not worth it. So I I remember I read this Hafez quote, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you. As few human or even divine can handle. And I was like, oh, what an interesting idea. (laughs) Not try to go outside of myself and fill a hole, but actually experience it. That felt more scary to me than anything. I thought that my loneliness was going to kill me. So this practice, what it helped me do was slowly, and we don't have to do this in big bites, slowly touch into the tenderness of our emotions. So I just let myself a little bit feel what was in my gut and what was in my heart. And when it felt like too much, I would move to another part of my body that felt okay, that I could hold, that I knew how to hold. And I did this sort of titration and pendulation, letting myself step in, feeling the vastness, giving myself a lot of love and forgiveness. I needed to forgive myself for all the harm I'd caused. And slowly over time, I began to trust myself. I learned how to say no. (laughs) I learned how to care for a person's mind versus just their body and what I could get from it. I learned how to trust myself and my own discernment and my own wisdom. And this was an emotion, right, that carried, it lived my life. This emotion lived my life for a good 15 years. So what I'm encouraging is Learning here, this is the place to learn. This is the place that you're held by others, that you're held by teachers, and you can explore a little bit, sort of like we were talking about yesterday when you had the walk-in question. Allow yourself to explore here, because when we go out there and something is big and really overwhelming, if we build the capacity here, we are capacity building in this practice. If we build this capacity here, And in our practice, when these really, as we know, hugely disastrous things are happening in the world, we can have a little more equanimity around it. And therefore, our actions serve us in a more righteous way and in a more important way. Our words are more sound and then our actions can be more sound. So while you're here, having this stabilization of the breath and the body, knowing that that's always there for you, right? You can always come back to the stabilizing of the breath and body, this anchor, this foundation. And then now we're moving into allowing other experiences to arise. What does it feel like when I go from, you know, maybe it might feel something like a little bit of trepidation, gets triggered somewhere, maybe you know, seeing an animal or being in an environment they're not used to. And then suddenly it starts ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and then you end up in terror, right? Or sometimes the smallest little joy will lead us out into this ecstasy and we just like lose our minds and forget where we are. So pay attention to that which triggers you, watching the begin- maybe the beginning arising of an emotion to a thought and just sort of follow it be curious recognize that something is there be curious about it investigate it maybe it's a a physical sensation maybe it's a thought see what kind of meaning you're making out of it how you're identifying around it we become very identified with I am a sad person I am an angry person, right? I'm a happy person. And we can sort of get locked into identity around our emotions. But what you'll notice when paying attention is that they pass. They change. And so let yourself explore today. Really wander around through your emotional world. Knowing that they're normal, knowing that it's a good thing to feel and not to be numb. Seeing where maybe you go too far. And just play. See what that's like. Check yourself out. Yeah, so let's, so many words, but I'm going to be done. Let's practice together. First, let's orient back to being in our bodies. Maybe after having been in the mind, listening to words. Really allowing yourself to settle. Feeling the weight of your body on your cushion or chair. The pressure. The substantiality. Feeling into your hands and your feet. <coughs> the straightness of your spine. Seeing if there's any tightness in the jaw. and Maybe just loosening your jaw a little bit. Really feeling this form that you're sitting in, that you carry around, that senses, that feels, that thinks, that moves. Allowing your belly to soften, not changing anything, but just noticing the rise and fall within each inhale and exhale. body breathing and knowing that that is your constant this body and this breath are here to come home to to rest in You may have noticed that when you're actually with your breath and your body, not a whole lot of thinking is happening. When you actually remember to breathe, when you remember being in this form, it gives us a little break. allowing all the senses to be alive, using sound, sensation, smell. all in response to what's actually happening right now. and then not to manufacture anything. But if you have been having emotional content, or maybe even an overriding mood, just allowing yourself to check into where that lives. How do you even know a word to put to this sensation or this knowing? We put words to things. It creates meaning, it creates story. So allowing yourself first just to sit with the direct knowing. Of something we might call an emotion. Maybe if there's some fear or sadness, anger or loneliness, or joy. How do we know that? What's telling us that besides our minds? And then watching the change, how maybe one experience arises and leads us into another, which can evoke a whole other emotional experience, and then thoughts. So seeing if you can follow the stream paying attention to when things are just kind of neutral and you're in with the breath and the body, the breaks in between. Always knowing that when anything feels too big, you can land back in something that feels safe and comfortable in your experience right now, even if it's a pinky, even if it's your earlobe. Find something that's okay. See if you can notice even the tiny subtleties of how everything we come into contact with evokes, even if it's the slightest, emotion. We have an idea, a thought, and it colors our reality if even briefly. It's not bad, it's just good to know. So we have time for a couple of questions, if there are any. And then I have some announcements. And I'm realizing that I've been the question-answerer kind of the last few times. So whoever wants to answer can answer. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: So the
2: question is about how to work with judgment for self or others. I think one classic way to work with it is, um, you know, the analogy would be, right, this is the finger pointing at the moon, it's not the moon, but um, the analogy might be of that our awareness, or our mindfulness is like an element of the sky, right? It's a potential of the sky of awareness. And everything, all of our thoughts and emotions are mental objects. Actually, that's how they're understood. In uh, Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, that all these things are mental objects. So you could think of your judgment as something that is arising and floating across the sky of awareness. You know, it's a mental object. It's, um, you know, aversion probably, right? It's probably an, a- an aspect of aversion. And you know, it's so interesting, the Buddha taught, I mean, this happened to him, he had these same things. And uh, he actually told us to look at for these within the fourth foundation of mindfulness. You know, there's four foundations. And the fourth uh, has the five hindrances. And he said, guess what's gonna happen when you do this practice? You're gonna see these things. So this is very common. I want to normalize it. It's what happens when we open up is we see these habit patterns that we have of judging, of measurement, of measuring ourselves better than, worse than, same as. And um, what, you know, the, you know, if if our mindfulness was, when our mindfulness is really strong, we actually see those and don't necessarily take them personally. It's like, oh wow, look at that. I have this habit of measuring myself over, you know, measuring myself or measuring others. And we see it and, you know, we put that frame of mindfulness around it. And then when it, next time it comes up, it's like, oh, there you are again, that me- you know, that measuring, that judgment, judgment. Uh, you know, that's how it is when the mindfulness is strong and we have some good objectivity. Otherwise, you know, you know, we tend to either uh, deny it, no, no, I don't want to see that, or we sink into it, right? We believe it, we believe that storyline, and we follow it and let the story spin itself. So I think the uh, one thing that we can do when it still is very, we're very identified with it, we think that that's us, is to see if we can see the beginning of that story, you know, take our mindfulness to the very beginning of seeing that story arise. And maybe even try to put some uh, notes to it or labels to it that gets even more, um, you know, g- gives us some investigation into it. Like, or maybe bring an investigation. Is this a story about how I look, about how smart I am, how much money I have, or, you know, whatever the story is? to try to let go of the story and see some deeper, some deeper, uh, see it as an, uh, an object or a habit pattern. Does that make sense? That's one way, to, one way to think about it. And you know, the nature of it is that it will arise and pass away. I mean, that's the nature of it. And to even see that, to see how it arises, what triggers it's arising, and then totally to not engage with the story if you can, if you can let go of the story. Anybody else have any, any, we have a psychologist on the team. Do you want to say something?
3: I I think Bonnie's answer was really pretty, pretty thorough. Um, something that, that I've been exploring though with the practices, you know, kind of, you know, just bridging Joanna's instructions into, um, what I've been playing with is, is actually just, you know, if it feel, if it feel like I'm getting caught up in the story or the judgment or really identifying with the the judgments, you know, sometimes I'll actually kind of just tune into a different frequency, more of the embodied emotional experience that seems to be kind of, uh, kind of uh sometimes feeding the judgmental thoughts and so i like to kind of check that realm of experience and you know stay with that and kind of make that a part of the investigation as well because um, sometimes it'll be the same story playing out and there's some aspect of experience i'm not seeing it's like there's this underground kind of aquifer of emotion that isn't really being recognized and sometimes just exploring that can help help the mind let go with some wisdom so yeah, I, I usually what I'll, I'll actually um, usually just check in with the body, just kind of as kind of come back to the physical embodied experience um, and, you know, just kind of begin to explore more of that arena, you know, and, and also um, just to kind of see if there's a general, just a general feeling tone in the mind as well, uh, apart from the thoughts. Um, so just kind of looking at those elements of experience, you yeah, know, can be, can be interesting as well.
0: So I, that makes me want to ask into it a little further. I mean, do you do you feel balanced in it? Does it feel appropriate? And do you know who Martín Prechtel is? The shan- he's a Guatemalan shaman. And he's wild. He's a wild guy. I love listening to him. But he talks about grief and praise. And this is totally not Buddhist, but I think it feels appropriate. And he, he talks about how our culture is so... We so under praise and other, under love because of fear of lack. You know, that if we praise too much, it means that we might be getting less. But what he said is the other side of praise is grief. And that we also don't know how to fully grieve. And that in his shamanic tradition, f- fully grieving is pulling out your hair and snot running down your nose and you're falling apart. But you have a community to hold you, right? There's witness to that. There are people there to share in that very valid grief that many of us experience. And it doesn't ever seem to go away, you know, because we're always given, being given new fodder for that ancestral grief. It's like, oh, let's give you some more and then some more, you know. It doesn't stop. So one of the things that I like about this practice is the appropriateness, knowing the, wis- the, the wisdom in the is the, in the appropriateness of the level. Now, I would say if it's causing your life a lot of disruption and your relationships and, you know, it's causing problems, then, uh, then we can talk to Vance. <laughs> um. <laughs> but if it feels like a really important grieving, which we don't do enough of in the right ways... and by all means, it's necessary. Does that feel like a, an appropriate answer? I'm not, if it feels out of balance, I'm willing to talk about it a little bit more, but, and not to uh, mistake emotions for, like I said, something that we're not supposed to have, uh, but something that's really important. Did did you
1: wanna yeah? What I was hearing in the uh, question was something about um, the balance between either like pushing away difficult emotions and um, feeling like oh, I can't feel them, I don't have the time, I have to like press on. Um, and then just feeling on the other side like totally falling apart like wailing and things like that and in some ways I think it speaks to like middle way kind of thing and in this um, practice it's like okay we don't want to repress things that's not repressing things Um, it also in some ways is like um, not overindulging to in any way that feels sort of like drama queening it up about things um but as things arise to be able to bear witness to them to be with them um with a kind of like that bearing witness like that very um intimate attention to them um and it's really a skill that like we don't necessarily learn in any other place in our life like in school or something like, like how to work with emotions in a skillful way um so it's like, uh, how do we actually allow ourselves to feel the rage or anger, you know, and kind of like how Vance was describing, like, it becomes very visceral, like, can I feel the heat and the pulsing? And then sometimes there'll be a thing, a fear of that, or a sense like, oh, this is going to kill me, or I'm going to kill someone if I allow myself to feel this, you know. So it's kind of within the safe container of retreat, like, can I feel it a little bit more, a little bit more, something, and um, sometimes that comes with outbursts of, like, crying or things like that. And if it feels helpful to you, you could even go out into the woods somewhere and then feel like, okay, I can, without any self-consciousness, let that go. But tuning into, like, when does it feel like I'm sort of fueling it in some way with the story of, like, my, um, like, all this has happened to me, or there is such blank, or, you know, like, um, so not repressing, but also not, like, overblowing. Um, but, yes, Jonah Joanna said, there's, like, a really... Uh, deep well of that and th- the other thing that can help with it is like developing a sort of equanimity or balance with it um and so that's also uh, concurrently like what we're developing in the practice too um, there are all these different helpful qualities of mind and heart and equanimity is something that i think of as like some canoes have these like i think they're called pontoons or they're like things attached to it that help it stay afloat on both sides so um
0: Um, so, unfortunately, there's no more time for questions. And one of those reasons is because we're going to start our group meetings today. So the list of uh, meetings, times, teachers, locations are up on the boards if you haven't seen them already. And what these meetings are is actually an opportunity to ask these kind of questions in a smaller, more intimate setting or share experience. Um it's not a place for crosstalk or sort of advice giving to other yogis <laughs> or um, connecting in that way, but it's really a time to sit together and circle and just, like I said, be in a smaller um, experience and, ha- and, and have a teacher there if you do need some help or guidance. And it really is, it's not about bringing our life into the room. It's about what's going on in your practice right now, right here, um, and, and having some support, one-on-one group support. So there are... Three groups happening today, one group happening tomorrow. Uh, Everybody will be seen. If your name is not on the board, are Sundays up yet? Okay. If your name is not up there, please let us know. Um, Bonnie will be meeting in room one, which is the first room as you walk out that back door. It's the first room on your right. I'll be meeting in room two, which is right next to it. And Anishka will be meeting in the council house, which is where you registered for the retreat. Um, I think I covered that. Also, there is not enough cushions for everybody sometimes. And so the request is, if you're not using a cushion, like if you have a whole sort of throne around you, and it's just like, I might need this, or I might need that. um, If you're not using something, can you please put it in the back so that other people can? And then sometimes it looks like something doesn't belong to somebody, like maybe that looks like maybe somebody's not using it, and then somebody else might come and take it. And then that person comes back and is wondering where their stuff is. So if something is on, on the floor, please, please leave it where it is. Um, but if you're not using something, please put it in the back. Good? Cool. So work with the emotion practice during your walking period. Really play into these sensations. Watch if you can see the arising and the passing, the triggers what comes. I mean, it's just so interesting to watch. So you definitely utilize this throughout the morning. Um, even into lunch, you know, food can have a lot of emotional content who we sit with, how we share. So, um, enjoy your day. Thank you for your attention. So, due to the fact that we will be in interviews, um, oh, and Vance, uh, there will be a practice leader. So, somebody will be up here ringing the bell that isn't one of us. Just want to let you know that. And Vance is going to be doing signups. He's going to have about five or six slots for people that really feel in need of some one-on-one support. You a lot of you are being seen today um so that's a good opportunity if there's something you feel like you cannot share in a group um those signups do fill up though so please if you're just in the mood to chit chat or you know haven't talked so you're dying to maybe don't take up the space and leave it for somebody who who really needs it thank you